I don't wanna go to work. I just wanna chill and play all day. Look him dead in the face and say, I wish I could just be still asleep while you work. Welcome to season four of the Jobs Blow podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Haas, and this is the podcast for dreamers with and without day jobs. This week's show is called Cleaning Up Comedy with the CEO of Clean Comedians, Adam Christing. Welcome to the show, Adam. Hey, thanks, Brianna. Great to be with you. Let's get into it. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to talk a little bit about Clean Comedians. So the information I've received is that you require your performers to avoid profanity, prejudice, and politics, correct? Right. Other than that, you can do anything you want. <laughs> so let's talk about your performers. Your performers, these are people that go for cor- that perform at corporate events specifically. Right. Not just corporate. You know, uh, sometimes people think that, uh, and I, I love the comedy clubs arena or world, but sometimes people think comedy is just for the clubs or Vegas or cruise ships. You know, we just think everyone can laugh. So we do events at uh, schools, universities, churches, of course, corporations, theaters, uh, nonprofit organizations. Surprisingly, a big amount of our work comes from groups that are wanting to use fun to raise funds for cancer research or a medical breakthrough, or it's a faith-based organization, or it's a military group. And so I guess the bottom line is, well, our motto, it doesn't have to be filthy to be funny. Okay. Well, and given the venues that you were just listing off, I can understand why you might not want to um, go into some of these topics in those particular places. So how long has Clean Comedians been around? It's been around a long time. 1990, believe it or not. This is back when um, Howard Stern was making the scene and Andrew Dice Clay and uh, probably Sam Kinison too. And there was just this sense uh, I noticed I was already working as a comedian and magician doing little corporate events and people would come up afterwards and they would say, hey, thank you for keeping it clean. And it just really resonated. And a friend uh, named Carrie, believe it or not, he does pantomime. I'm thinking, what in the world? But he speaks when he performs. But he gave me the idea for Clean Comedians. And we launched in 1990. And within a matter of uh, weeks, we were selling out theaters and booking big corporate events. And I realized something pretty quickly. Everybody has a different idea of what clean means. And uh, I'm certainly not the Pope of purity or anything like that, a morality play here. But I had to define what we meant by clean. So we came up with this acronym back then that's stuck pretty well for us. It's uh, gross, G-R-O-S-S, which means no gender bashing, racist humor, obscenity, sexual innuendo, or swearing. And that's where a lot of performers couldn't hang with us was on the last two, sexual innuendo and swearing. Because some performers like, well, I don't actually say the F word. I just do a rhyme with it or something like that. But our position became, you know, if in doubt, leave it out. We don't really have people who come up to us after a a gig and say, I really wish that could have been raunchy. It just really doesn't happen much unless maybe you're doing a a bachelor party or something like that. Well, that's funny because before the show, I had told you that when I first did stand up myself, I was taught to keep it clean. But when you were going through your acronym and you got to sexual innuendo, you lost me because even when I was taught to keep it clean, <laughs> I I did. For instance, I had a joke about I had dated a chef and he ghosted me essentially. 
And I went on to say that that was okay because his appetizer was never satisfying. His <laughs> always came too fast and his portions were way too small. Now, would that be? That's clever. Say, but would you say I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to do that at one of your events? Well, when, see, we don't try to censor someone's act. Uh, uh, that's very funny, by the way. Very clever. Going back to what I said, if in doubt, leave it out. Because you have to remember some people, like especially imagine you're in HR, your employees come up to you and go, whoa, I can't believe that. Because for some of the employees, that might seem R-rated, even though that's quite tame and, and fun. And so we never really sit down with someone and say, you can say this and you can't say that. It's more of, can you subscribe to this uh, no gross uh, policy that I talked about? And what we find is a lot of our performers, instead of doing straight stand-up, they're bringing some other element. I like to say variety replaces the vulgarity. And so there might be... Uh, comedy and juggling or comedy and a mind reading or comedy ventriloquism or improv. And so another thing that we've discovered that companies really love is interactive comedy. So you don't really have uh, kind of the red brick wall thing when you're at the uh, Marriott hotel in Milwaukee, it's, it's a ball and the person before you might be the VP of sales. And so if you go up there and start doing sex jokes, Maybe 80% of the people are going to be fine with it, but there might be that 20% that's offended or that um, complains to the director of HR. And so our feeling has always been, um, let's do comedy that everyone can laugh at. We've recently added that political piece because, and that's really challenging for some comedians, but it's just so divisive. I never understood uh, which way to pronounce that word, but- I go we, divisive, but you know, you tomato, did, yeah. tomato, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And so if you get somebody up there who who is going to rip on the right or the left or, or whatever, again, you're alienating part of the audience. And so most of our performers are not to, uh, you know, be cutting edge on the political scene or cultural comics so much as they're, they're really an alternative to some of the more vulgar or divisive uh, comedians. And what we're uh, hearing over and over again is people come up going, oh, wow, that was like so refreshing. It just felt really good to laugh without engaging all these other things. So where do you find your talent? I mean, do you have people that that perform in clubs that do gross comedy, but then can they turn it off and, and perform at events for you? It's a great question. You know, in the early days, back when people were sending VHS tapes as their as their demo, they would put, sometimes somebody would send um, their set, like let's say from the Ice House or the Comedy Store or something, and there'd be a little post note that said, I can take out the F words. So there might be like 17 F words. And so they were wanting us to imagine that as a clean set. And we just found that it was a lot easier to work with entertainers who were just already working clean. And so I'll give you an example. Um, there's a club in Hollywood called the Magic Castle. That's a really awesome place if you um, or your listeners ever get a chance to, to visit. It's a private club. I actually had, so they'd someone, have some, I had someone on here that performs there, actually. Oh, yeah. It's so fun. I hope you get to go. Uh, you, uh, you have to have a pass from a member. You walk up to the bookshelf and you say, open Sesame, and it opens up and there's a restaurant and there's there's several theaters inside and what, and I grew up there when I was 17, I became a, a junior member at the magic castle. And I'll remember the um, Diana Zimmerman was sort of running that program. And she said to everyone, well, your magic's not that good, but you're funny. We're going to let you in. And so I grew up there seeing comedy juggling and um, 
magic and all kinds of almost more like vaudeville style comedy. And for example, there's someone named, named Dana Daniels we book, and he does this hysterically funny bit with, he calls it Luigi, his psychic parrot. And no, very few standups I know want to follow Dana because he just destroys the room. He's so funny, but there's zero reference to any politics or sexual stuff or bathroom humor. It's just hilarious fun. And so I think one thing, Brianna, that's happened in the last few decades is people associate comedy with with raunchy and strictly with clubs. But if you go back and you think about the, whatever, the Bob Hopes and the Will Rogers and the Marx Brothers and going back into the vaudeville era, stand-up comedy is relatively new, but comedy is pretty much ageless. And so I guess in one way we've restricted on the sex and gender bashing and political side, but we've opened it up to funny is funny. And so sketch comedy, comedy and music, dueling pianos, there's lots of ways to entertain the audience without going up there and, and I'm, you know, doing jokes about your sexual parts. So what does your roster look like? How many, how many comedians work for you and are you all over the country or do they fly to different vent, like for different opportunities? How does that work? Right. So we have entertainers all over North America, uh, us, Canada, we've done events in China during the pandemic. It was unbelievable. We were booking uh, zoom events in almost every, every continent in the world and so it's it's pretty fun. Most of the comedians and entertainers come to us and say, and so we have someone who probably watches three to five videos and kind of does some research on entertainers who want to work with us. And it's funny, most of the time, it's just we just can't play ball with them. And by the way, sometimes it's not because they're not clean, it's because they're not funny. It's like, okay, this is a really person who did this uh, set for the library show or the church potluck or whatever, but it just really isn't funny. It's not going to play for the awards show for Insperity in Houston, so we can't book them. We have entertainers all over the country, and most of the time the clients will pay for air and ground and travel, and instead of like kind of nickel and diamond clients about reimbursements, we just build a fee into it that covers the performer's travel and lodging. So for example, we booked Jeff Civilico, who I hope you have him as a guest sometime. What a, a fascinating guy. He started a nonprofit called Win-Win Entertainment, where every gig that he does and that his friends do, they also do a free one for uh, children's hospitals with you know kids and families struggling with cancer. And so it's really a feel-good, funny thing. But Jeff is so busy, it's unbelievable. Like virtually every day, he's either on a virtual stage or in person doing comedy and juggling that's side-splitting funny. But also, and here's a a key thing we've learned is you want to incorporate some messaging about, about the company. So yesterday I was in Dallas, Texas, and I was doing comedy with a little bit of motivation woven in for a company called Porch Group. And their CEO was, uh, is named Matt. And so this is not going to be funny to your listeners or to just about anyone else. But when I said, okay, so you're Porch, let me bring up the CEO. And I'm like, welcome, Matt. And it gets this big laugh, like, oh, how clever, because it was customized around their audience. And so that's another piece that we bring to the party is trying to tailor the humor around the organization. Do you then have 
comedians that you know work better in certain situations. So if you have a church opportunity, you're like, okay, we should use this person because some just do better in some situations than others. Right. I think I think what an audience, especially, I mean, our clients really are meeting planners, right? So a meeting planner, her first thought is, number one, I don't want my organization embarrassed. And number two, will he or she connect with my audience? So yeah, for example, with a church gig, and by the way, that's that's like a whole other circuit that a lot of people don't even know about, but there are some comedians who make a living just doing concerts at churches because you think about it, they have a built-in audience. They might have a thousand uh, parishioners, and so on Saturday night or Sunday night, they have a, a community concert, and they'll bring in a, a comedian or a comic magician or whatnot. In other cases, it might be you know, we're doing this event for insurance groups. Do you have anyone who specializes in that? And so we do our best to try to match the, the right entertainer with the right group. A few years ago, I was hired by one of the big uh, top five accounting firms, and they wanted me to roast 10 or 11 of their retirees. So again, this is comedy that would never play at a club or a broader audience, but to them, it was hysterical what I did was found material about each of the top VIPs who was uh, retiring that was not about their weight or their race, but it might be like, you know, Jim wears the craziest shoes or uh, Sheila is maybe the worst golfer and she loves to laugh about it. So we make sure that they're cool with it. And so I roasted them for about an hour and they thought it was like the funniest thing ever, but it would never play again. It was a, it was a one night kind of a special occasion. Do they at least drink at these things? So you have that <laughs> on your side? Yeah, you know, the the more they drink, the funnier we get. That's what and, I'm saying. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and when, uh, when you're doing magic, you know, the more they drink, the more amazing the magic gets. At the same time, there are times when, uh-oh, like they're drinking so much that if we're doing, like some of our performers might do like a game show or some kind of a fun interactive piece. If they're drunk, like I did an event in, in Orlando not too long ago where they had been drinking all day the night before the night of and it was just it was kind of easy in some ways but it was harder in other ways when you're trying to engage their brains and their bodies in some activity right especially when you can't be like shut the fuck up <laughs> yeah, trouble, yeah right? i can't go there can't go yeah. there it's so, not as it's not as powerful to say darn it be quiet it just doesn't yeah. have the same yeah yeah so how do you have as many women on your roster as men? Or? You know, un unfortunately, we don't. I would say maybe 20% female, and we're really working on that. We want to, we're working hard on more diversity, you know, just, just like the culture at large. And so, but we really base it more on just the two criteria. Is this really funny? And is this uh, non-offensive, meaning those three P's you mentioned, no prejudice, no politics, no profanity. So it's very, it's very challenging. But then when we find certain performers, like there's a young man that we booked named Aaron O'Brien. He's only 22 years old. He is killing it in the corporate space because he makes it all about them. He does uh, interactive comedy and some uh, magic stuff. And he's not really a stand-up, but he's really funny. And he's, he's young and he's charming. And so... He's not jaded by corporate America. So. Exactly. Not yet. Not yet. Oh, that's funny. So let me ask you, would my show pass the, the gross test? The name of my show? 
your show would be very special in my heart, but probably would not pass the gross test. <laughs> but we can still be friends. <laughs> but, you know, I have to tell you, I've made every possible mistake. Like I, when I started this thing many years ago, and, and by the way, I sold the business in 2005 and then my wife and I bought it back in 2012. It's kind of our baby and we, we really love it. And we've just been so busy. I made every mistake you could possibly make. So when we started it with the motto, it doesn't have to be filthy to be funny. I had that printed on about a hundred brochures and it went out to, uh, you know, corporations, associations, churches, schools. And I was really proud of this promotional piece. What I didn't catch was that there was a typo and here's what it said. Clean comedians is an association of professional comedians who believe it doesn't have to be funny. Oh God. <laughs> so <laughs> kind of takes the pressure off, you know, you just have to pay us. That's all. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Remember that uh, movie with uh, Steve Martin and Martin short and Chevy chase three amigos where Steve Martin goes, no dough, no show. We just wanted the dough part. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever seen that movie. Oh, it's a classic. I mean, yeah. I, I know the movie. I grew up with it, but it was one of those yeah. that I don't think I ever actually saw. But I did just watch them in the uh, Murder in the Building. Series. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that yet. How'd you like that? It's good. It's good. I mean, yeah. I'm a I'm a huge Steve Martin fan. And oh, me too. So, well, you um, know, let's talk about him for a second, because I think he's a good example of in many ways, he was doing almost like anti-stand-up comedy, anti-meaning like he, he was just doing, he was turning it upside down. It was absurd. He's doing balloon animals. He's doing... King Tut. Oh my King God, T I used to laugh. Especially oh, at yeah. <laughs> He's doing magic tricks that fail. You know, uh, his his Flydini routine on the Johnny Carson show is hysterically funny. And he debuted that at the Magic Castle, not at the comedy store, you know? Yeah, no, I I definitely think Steve Martin would fall under a clean comedian. From what I, at least I can remember of Steve Martin as a child watching funny. him and even to this day. Yeah, funny stuff. Well, I I'm excited to hear you. You are very clever, I can tell because we were talking before we started the podcast, but it sounds to me like you're a good writer, like you enjoy clever wordplay, am I right? I do. If I could just find someone to pay me for it, it would all work <laughs> out. Actually, when I did stand up, there was a few different comedians that when I'd come off the stage would say, you really do write so well. You should write for me. And I I was young. I should have followed up. <laughs> but here I am. I did not follow up. And, you know, I performed with, well, like I said, Wanda, Judah Friedlander, Jim Gaffigan, another clean comedian. Wow. Yeah, I performed right, right. with Jim back in 98. And wow. even then he, he just, he was hysterical and he was just telling stories that did not resort, you know, to profanity or, you know, being crass or anything. I, I just, yeah, no, I have real appreciation for his humor as well. We well, you know in the early nineties, Random House published a couple of books that I, I was the editor and they were called Comedy Comes Clean. And I was surprised how much, and so we gave attribution to all of the comedians. And when we used <clears throat> quite a bit of material, they were paid and, and whatnot. But it was pretty impressive to me to see how much really funny stuff there was, obviously Seinfeld and others. But there's a lot of gold out there that's just appeals to everyone, every age. I remember one time my youngest son was probably four. My grandfather was still alive. He was in his 80s. My dad was around. So we had four four generations. 
and we're watching like a Laurel and Hardy movie from 1935 where they're trying to push the piano up the big staircase and, and we're all laughing. And I'm thinking that's, that's pretty cool when you have four generations laughing without, you know, without a curse word, without, you know, upsetting anyone. And I'm not saying that comedy, I think comedy has a prophetic dimension of, of kind of like the court jester. And so my point is not in any way to say other types of comedy are, are not cool or not important, but just to say, we, we want to have an alternative for people who want to have a gathering and laugh without, you know, upsetting people. Well, and that's a great bridge. So thank you, because I I agree with you very much in, in what you just said, because I think for the venues you play, clean comedy makes sense. But I think people like George Carlin, I mean, the things that he said back 30, 40 years ago resonate so much today. I think they're, it's, it is prophetic. Like, I think a lot of times comedy and satire are, are so insightful and, you know, and sometimes healing and also a way for people to kind of see things and understand that there is commonality in what we're all going through. And so, yeah, no, I, I 100% agree that there, it, there's a time and a place, right? That's it. That's it. You know, I mentioned my grandfather a moment ago, he got sober when he was 40 and he lived to be 85. He went to AA meetings for 45 years, like two or three times a week. And he would take me to some. And what I noticed was the people in a lot of pain, but there was more laughter going on than most comedy clubs or, you know, comedy sets I've heard. Just, I realized it's coming from pain. It's coming from healing, coming from transparency and uh, funny stuff and a lot of wisdom. I think, I think Carlin in many ways was our Mark Twain, a uh, very deep thinker, almost more of a philosopher. But I will tell you, it's interesting. His first two albums are clean. Like the first Carlin album is G-rated. The second Carlin album is like G-13. I think he says hell or damn. And, and then there was this progression of in the 70s where he was becoming the voice of kind of the kind of inherited Lenny Bruce's. Uh, That's what I was. Mental. Yeah, I was yeah. just to say that. Yeah, Lenny Bruce. I I don't know if you watched the marvelous Miss Mizell. Miss Mizell. I've watched a few. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I, I love the Lenny Bruce character on that. Yeah. Yeah. So you just made me think of. Well, no. To your point, I think comedy, so much of it, and being quick witted, comes from trauma in your life and finding ways of dealing with difficult things. And I think sometimes when you consider who the clean comedians are, they maybe didn't come from situations that were as traumatic as the comedians who are more abrasive and who maybe. No, I, I, th- I think I, I think you're onto something. I think I think people would be surprised at how many comedians across the board, wherever they are in the G to X, you know, range, you might say. But I find some of the least happy people I've ever met are my comedian friends. But when they're on stage, obviously, Robin Williams is the ultimate example. But but I've even met speakers who are not comedians and they are electrifying on stage. But when you talk to them, they seem depressed. They seem withdrawn. And I think comedy and communication in general is a is an outlet for people. But some of our greatest artists 
I mean, think of even rock and roll, like some of the, like uh, I have a book coming out about Bob Dylan, but many people feel like his album, uh, Blood on the Tracks, might be the greatest singer-songwriter album of all time. Well, it was birthed from breakup of his marriage. And so there's something about how pain becomes a wellspring for for great art. There's there's no question. Well, and I've always said that backstage at a comedy club, that's one of the most insecure places <laughs> I've been in my life. Yeah. I mean, yeah. insecure, it's definitely, I think insecurity also goes with people dealing with trauma and whatever their baggage might include within it. I think it's- I have, I totally agree, Brianna. I have a, I have a book, believe it or not, it's called Your Life is a Joke, 12 Ways to Go from Haha to Aha. And I talk about the principles of comedy, like a setup and a punchline and how you can use that to make a shift in your, in your personal life. But I open the book with this story. You probably heard it, but I, I love it of a man who's super depressed, even almost suicidal. And he goes to see a psychiatrist. And the therapist is thinking, how can I help this guy? I don't think I want to prescribe drugs. And he dawns on him. He says to the patient, hey, there's a circus in town. And we just saw it. And laughter is the best medicine. You really should go. They have this clown. And you're going to bust up. And you're going to feel a lot better. I, I want to encourage you to go to the circus and see the clown. And the patient says, I am the clown. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, my God. No, yeah. that, that is yeah. true. That is true. So back to the pandemic, did you have kind of a boom in business just because there were so many opportunities for people that were trying to keep their Zoom calls interesting? You know, exactly. We had the we had the bust and then the boom. For me personally, with my calendar, I think there were 25 conventions that were on my calendar. It was just it was like a dry erase board and everything got erased. But then what happened was exactly like you're saying, people are like, oh, these Zoom meetings are killing us. They're so boring. And so the money wasn't as good as doing, you know, a, a live convention in Las Vegas, but the work was plentiful. Like we had some of our entertainers who were doing five or six Zoom meetings a day all over the world. And so it's just, you know, can you add 15 to 30 minutes of fun? And it was harder for the stand-ups, not because of clean or not clean, but it's just kind of hard to just tell jokes to what looks like a bunch of postage stamps on your on your laptop. But the interactive comedians seemed to really click because they could say, hey, unmute yourself and pick a card or let me teach you how to juggle or we're going to do a game show with trivia about your company. And so, yeah, we got really busy. So wait, what did you do before you started Clean Comedians? Yeah, I did just about everything. I worked as a sales guy. I worked for a brief time as a junior high minister at a at a church. I did uh, some business consulting, and I, I was a young man. But all along the way, I was doing comedy and magic, and then uh, had a kid and realized, whoa, I got to decide like what I want to be when I grow up. And so I approached it really like a business person and started making outbound calls like the great comedians probably spend three hours a day writing like a Seinfeld, let's say. The busy comedians like me, I spend about three hours a day networking, making calls, getting the demo videos out. And as I mentioned earlier, we kept getting this feedback like, hey, thanks for keeping it clean. Thanks for keeping it clean. And so at one point, our business was booming so much, we decided to franchise clean comedians. And so in the in end of the 90s, we we had 
several offices, but right now we're all working remotely. So we have a staff of about four or five people who are helping us book events and help the client have an experience because what happens before the entertainer gets on stage is also really crucial. Like the more that they can know about the company, the people in the audience, acronyms, the buzzwords, that can really make a difference in helping you connect with the, with the crowd. So why did you sell and then buy it back? I'm fascinated with with philosophy. And so at the time, I was running a website called themeaningoflife.com, which sounds like a setup for a a Monty Python (laughs) skit or something. But uh, we were doing consulting. And then I made a couple of films. I made a mockumentary. And Brianna, my acting was so bad, I got cut out of my my own movie, which is really embarrassing. I mean, that's when you know it's not working. So I went from being like, one of the leads to then a minor character to pretty soon it was like I literally got cut out and I became the voiceover guy. But we had some great actors. We had uh, Tony Plana from Three Amigos and other great Groundlings type people, and it, it was a mockumentary film uh, that made fun of multi level marketing. You know, so like a funeral would be happening and someone would come up to give a eulogy and would pitch their product, and it was it's, some people really enjoyed it, and it went straight to DVD. And so I did for about six, seven years, I, I still was performing, but I let somebody else run the company. And unfortunately it didn't, didn't go so well. So my wife and I had an opportunity to buy it back uh, around 2012. And we, and we did that and business is, is really booming again. I, I think since we're hopefully in a moving out of the pandemic mode, we're noticing people are craving that reconnection of every gig we do feels like a class reunion where people are like so ecstatic to be together. Well, yeah, no, I had a birthday party recently and everybody was like, this was the best party. And I said to my husband later, I'm like, this is all because they've been locked up for two years. That might be so fantastic. And I will take it. I will take it. If you think this was a party, I will take it. Yeah. Well, see, you you can just mean that uh, that was all about you celebrating you. Yeah, no, we all know it was they were just happy to get out of the house. So, but you know, if that halo effect makes it look like I threw the best party, I will take that. <laughs> there you go. So like, let's say they would normally have 400 people at a convention and they only have a hundred in person spaced out and they'd have 300 zooming in. And it was like performing two shows simultaneously because you'd be playing to the smaller group, which is all spread out. And then you'd be playing to the camera, trying to connect with with those people. And then some of these events would have people with different color wristbands, like green means hug me and blue means I'll give you a fist bump and red means stay away. And and so you're trying, it was just really complicated. Well, so I would be interested in knowing which industry do you feel you get the most business from? Is there one specifically that you feel is your best clientele? Like account, account. Yeah, we had we've had one client book probably over eighty events. Actually, two clients have booked in the eighty to over hundred events. One of them is in sales and HR, and so if you're in the people business and you have salespeople, that's a natural. And then the other one produces fundraisers, like they call them major donor weekends. In fact, I'm heading off to do one this weekend, starting tonight. And so it's funny when you're dreaming about becoming a professional comedian or magician or entertainer, you're not thinking, I really want to be with salespeople or, or people raising money for their nonprofit. But 
a nonprofit, for example, by law has to gather once a year. And so they usually have after dinner entertainment or a keynote speaker. And so I'd say those two zones, sales and nonprofit have been our, our biggest. Interesting. So have you ever in all of your years had a client come back to you and say, the comedian, you know, used profanity or we didn't like their comedy. It didn't live up to the clean standards. We have actually, yeah, we've had everything. We've had some say, hey, it just wasn't funny. And we we have a policy. If it isn't funny, we'll refund your money. And so in the 30 years of doing business, we've only had to do one or two refunds like that. Pretty rare that we would have someone say it's not appropriate. We used to book a dear buddy of mine who passed away, Steve Bridges, used to impersonate President George W. Bush. We didn't have a problem with that at that time because Bush Bush loved it and it wasn't like mean spirited, but long story short, even though Bush and his mom and everybody, they had him at the White House, we booked him into a corporation and there was a real hardcore Bush supporter who was just offended that we were making fun of the president kind of a thing. So it is hard to please everybody with anything, with music, with food. I mean, we hear a lot more complaints about food than we do about the comedy, but it's virtually impossible to have everyone love. Like my favorite stand-up might be Greg Hahn, who's hysterically funny. Jonathan Edwards, kind of a madman, totally clean. My wife would be like, yeah, that's not my cup of tea. So it's very subjective. So we do our best to try to, like you mentioned earlier, finding the right fit ahead of time that's going to gel well with the culture of, of the company. But there's a lot at stake for an HR person. Many times they're like, you know, we just decided not to do any entertainment because they're so petrified that it's going to go sexual or controversial or racial. And so once we're in the door and we've delivered a, a great performance, many companies will have us back year after year. Well, you know, when, when I started this show, we called ourselves Humor Resources because, you know, it, again, was born out of frustrations with the work environment and specifically with HR, the people that often hide sexual predators, but then don't want you doing humor that talks <laughs> about right. such things. So that's a, that's a great, a sad, but true insight. Yeah. Sometimes it's just a surface. Sometimes it's almost more of a PR thing, those HR concerns. Yeah. But that that's another, I mean, I like your niche with the work arena and that gives you so much freedom, but also that human resources. I haven't mentioned this yet, but sometimes we're hired or we're recommending people who, who really are human resource people in that they're helping um, a CEO write a speech or we're custom scripting a sales program, or maybe they want to do some kind of commercial. We did something for, um, who's the company that makes all, charges us like gas level prices for print. I'm just blanked out on the, the big HP. We created five very funny short videos for their um, training program. And so there's a lot of places that, that comedy can be employed, uh, pardon the pun, that that's not a microphone and the red brick wall, but I think there's a link between being human and being humorous. And when we leave humor out, we're really missing out. I agree. And actually I am, am the co-president of my daughter's middle school and they needed an MC for an event last week. And I said, I would do it. Awesome. And, And I said to the principal on the phone, I'm like, and it works out perfectly because 
I can tell them that I was originally scheduled to have a colonoscopy, but they canceled it. I'm available. And she, that she's is mortified. Funny. She's like, you're not really going to say that, are you? That and is a like, funny line. I'm like, do you know what my teen daughter would do if I got up there and said that? First of all, I don't know how many of them know what a colonoscopy is. Right. I might have to explain it, which would only make it all the more mortifying for my kid. But, <laughs> Yeah, and no. that's you are very funny. That's a great line. I'd be tempted to use that if I was in your shoes there. <laughs> yeah, no, instead, I just got up there and she had told me not to like mention she was my daughter. So I just said, <laughs> you know, I'm the mother of an eighth grader, but I'm not going to mention her name. And I said, don't worry, Ella, I, I won't say anything. <laughs> and of course, you know, everyone knew it was Ella. So that's but awesome. Anyway. My wife and I have four kids, and it's been interesting when they're real little dad is so cool because he can do magic tricks and he's funny. And then in those middle school and high school years, it's like, dad, please don't come to my event. Is there any way you could not be here when my friends come over? Like, please, no card tricks. And now it's become cool again. Like my college age daughter's like, Hey, can you do a little zoom show for my friends and blow our minds? And so it's hard not to take it personal, but Hey, you just mentioned MC. We haven't talked about that, but that's a really big, very big niche that we're filling a lot where the host is able to add humor, create some custom jokes around the company and the culture and whatnot. And so that's probably for me personally, my biggest niche is working as a master of ceremonies. That's what I'm going to be doing this, this coming weekend. Yeah, no, I, I actually enjoy emceeing and it's funny because honestly, if I can do well with eighth graders, I think I could <laughs> Because mm-hmm. one of my last comedy shows actually was at the comic strip. And for some reason, it was like an, a teen boy's birthday party. And when I tell <laughs> you my humor and teen boys, not aligned. At any <laughs> right, not aligned. I walked off the stage and said to my now husband, that's probably my last show. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I much prefer just emceeing than trying to make them laugh about with me. Well, you know, you're right. When you emcee, the audience is delighted when they discover, oh, she's funny or he's going to be a lot of fun because sometimes they're expecting, you know, Hank in accounting who can make three people in his cubicle laugh. They'll have, <laughs> they'll have the internal guy or gal emcee and it's it's not good for the whole group, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I also appreciate the impact a good MC can have because I've been so many times on the other side of it where I'm being introduced and someone will either try to be funny or they'll read this long Wikipedia length essay about you. The worst one I ever got was um, I was performing for Southern California Edison, this big utility company here in California, eight in the morning to do comedy at a breakfast, 90% male audience. And they were firing about 10% of the workforce and nobody really wanted to be there. And so I think they were using me to try to change the mood. But long story short, this is the intro I got. The guy says, um, before we bring out our comedian, I need to let you know that Tom Jenkins, our wonderful district manager of 25 years, was uh, killed in an auto wreck last week. And um, his services will be this Friday. And so now please welcome Adam Christing. Oh, my God. And so I had to become Dr. Phil instead of Mr. Fun for about 15 minutes, you know, but. uh, You're like, I I hope Tom didn't know any of you money. (laughs) (laughs) So many jokes came to mind like that, right? Like, well, hey, I hope I kill. But I couldn't couldn't, couldn't do any of that because people were like crying and they're in shock. And so 
I've learned that uh, you really have to to be in the moment with the audience and well, but then, but then it it begs the question about like dark humor sometimes. Yeah, it sometimes it's what you need to lighten the mood because it is so awful. Like, granted, you have to be really selective of how you choose. That's right. In that moment, what I've discovered is that if the if the audience, or in our case, the client, trusts you and knows that you're ultimately. There are some comedians who just can't work in the corporate arena because they're just going for the laugh no matter what. Whereas my goal is not always to just get the laugh. Of course, I want the laughs, but to make the company feel like I'm glad we gathered like this was. And and sometimes I will play with some dark humor or self-deprecating humor. Or if they tell me, hey, the CEO, everyone loves to roast him and he loves it most of all. Well, okay, I'll roast him. So you just have to, it goes back to like public speaking 101, which is know your audience. Yeah, no, agree. All right. Well, now we've come to the part of the show where we play our game. And today's game is called Comedy Cleanup. I'm going to list popular comedians. And I want you to tell me from the perspective of working a corporate audience, if these Comedians would need to tidy up their routine, deep clean it, or just burn it down completely. All right. <laughs> Great. All right. Starting with Joan Rivers. Oh, that's interesting. Probably, probably tidy. Yeah. Although she she got more blue than many people remember, but hilarious. Just a quick side comment. Her book called Enter Talking is maybe one of the best books I've ever read by a comedian about what it took for her to make it. Well, yeah, especially as a woman during that time. Incredible. Okay, Eddie Murphy. Deep clean. Okay. And you mentioned this person before. Actually, I'm going to say both of them that you mentioned before. Andrew Dice Clay and Sam Kinison. <laughs> what was the one you had about burn? I mean, I... I burn I it find, down. I, I think Sam Kinison was a comic genius. And so this... Obviously, none of this is a comment on them as people or on their... The no, this is comedy. But yeah, I mean, if you yeah. if you you're either going to have to burn it down, or you might have to, you know, burn. Rebuild it. Yeah, <laughs> rebuild. Call the lawyer. But yeah, that would not go too well at a company. But I event. also, I just don't like Andrew Dice Clay and Sam Kinison. Their humor, I don't really know that they could ever be what they are in a corporate setting. Because no, no absolutely, you're correct. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish I'd seen Sam live. I saw Andrew live and it was funny talking to him in the kitchen of the comedy store was like talking to a completely different person than that character he he created the dice man so it's just interesting so whereas you know in the say in the 1950s or 60s it was kind of the opposite where people might be sort of raunchy and and whatever in their personal lives but then on stage there was a sense of okay now i have to clean it up It, it kind of flipped to the opposite yeah well, I mean, there are people that have their personas for the stage that helps give them kind of the courage to even get up there because they're not That's right. themselves. So. That's right. It's like acting, yeah. Yeah. How about Chelsea Handler? Wow. Uh, yeah. Some serious tidy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. That is really interesting. You know, it's funny because I would answer that differently today than I would... Um, years ago because things have gotten so cautious. Yes. I would I would say tidy because I know his material. He's 
in my mind, maybe the top three greatest standups of all time. I mean, just, and see, because his humor was self-deprecating, it actually, yeah, I think Tidy would work. Okay. I have Steve Martin on here, but I think we talked about him and I think he would, he probably wouldn't need anything. I'll tell you a quick story. His buddy, Martin Short, I think I'm doing an event with him not too long from now. And he, here's what he says to clients in a corporate setting. He says, here's my act and just cross out the stuff you don't want me to do. And so he he has like the, whatever the R, the PG 13, the G, and he has no problem. He's just an entertainer. I think Steve Martin would probably create something custom for, for the group, but I'm not sure Steve is traveling and performing with Marty short, but, uh, and they're very funny together, but I think he thinks of himself more as a musician and an artist today than, than as a comedian, but he's one of my heroes. Yeah. He's another one that's persona off stage is so different from on stage. That's right. That's yeah. right. Wanda Sykes. Yeah, that would be, I forget your categories, but that would be some pretty heavy. Duty. Deep clean. <laughs> yeah. Deep clean. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. And then finally Roseanne. Mm. You know what? It's tempting to say tidy, but I do think it'd be deep clean because in our arena, the gender stuff is whatever bashing men or women or so it would probably be deep clean. Yeah. But she's also she was always very political, too. Right. I right. Mean, she really. She's changed her politics. But when she came up, you know, she came from a, like a trailer court. So she was very much calling out the Reagan administration. And yeah, that's right. And let's not forget her classic singing the national anthem moment, which, yes. which, which united our country like nothing else could. No. Yes. <laughs> Something we all could agree on. It's nice yeah. when there's somebody that brings us all together. And she did do that for a moment, right? But I, I hope you continue with performing and emceeing because I can just tell you're you're a natural. And like this conversation, that to me is what it's all about, is having a conversation with the audience. And sometimes it's a more of a monologue, but if people can feel like they're included, that's what it's about. All right. Well, it sounds like you might be able to give me some gigs. So we'll talk offline. <laughs> Sounds great. Thank I you. I just it's... won't be able, I guess I won't be able to be introduced from the Jobs Blow podcast because it would already yeah. be off in a bad place, right? Yeah, we might have to change that back to human resources. <laughs> right. She's here for her humor resources. Right. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. Do you want to give some social channels, website? Yeah, I think um our website is real easy to find. It's just cleancomedians.com. And then you can find our LinkedIn page. And uh, I do a lot of stuff on LinkedIn now, which is interesting. It used to be more Facebook, but in the corporate market, laughter and LinkedIn are, are really working well for us. So those would be yeah. the two, two sources. I'd say cleancomedians.com and, and LinkedIn. You'd be surprised to know that Jobs Below podcast episodes don't get a lot of likes on LinkedIn. And I don't know why. <laughs> you know, the thing is, I come from marketing. And what's the best way to market something than to have a name? that gets attention, right? Totally, totally so agree. That, that's purely the reason for the name. And it, I just think it's really funny. Now, I, I recommend not Googling it because you're going to get a lot of the reverse and it's going right. to be very confusing, but yes. No, so. but it's a, gr- it's a great hook for you and you're masterful at conversing on many things. I mean, we jumped all over the place and uh, really enjoyed being on your show. Thank you so much, Adam. It's been a pleasure having you. This is the Jobs Blow Podcast. We're at jobsblowpodcast.com on social media at Jobs Blow Podcast. I'm Brianna Haas. Please subscribe and review. 
Now when he was a young man, he never thought he'd see people stand in line to see the boy king. How'd you get so funky? Did you do the monkey? Crocodile. Ooh. He gave his life for tourism. Ooh. 